Amen. Hey, great to see you here today. Morning. Good to see you guys. Morning. Morning. <laughs> um, it'll look a little bit different today. I wanted these guys in this conversation as we kind of explore the next few weeks, especially as we look at maybe some deep convictions that have come from a place of discernment over a significant period of time during this COVID season about things that will shape our future. Like things will look different in the life of Coast Community because we've actually paused in this time and asked some deep questions. And in fact, I think it probably goes right back to April maybe, mid-April, from the crazy town of going from, what was it, 15th of March, that go, we can no longer meet as a church. I mean, that's new ground for any church, basically. But then for us to go, well, man, we, we need to pause here. What do we need to pay attention to? What do we need to discern? God, what is it you want us to see? What do you want us to hear? How does it change who we are, what you've called us to do? And so that's been a discernment process that especially the three of us have been on with, with weekly engagement, three to four hours a week, personal engagement every day, just really asking those questions of God and bringing that to the ministry leadership team and eldership and go, well, what does that look like from here for us? So we wanted to share that with you over these coming weeks. And so it's a significant series. How, how are you guys feeling about sharing this kind of stuff? Oh, look, I'm, I'm excited, actually, because as, as you said, there's been a lot of time spent just mm. seeking God and to actually practice what we've been preaching that we want to follow him and what he's doing yep. in his church and so with, with that in mind we we wanted to just keep going well God can you show us what you want us to do we don't want to get ahead of you we don't want to do our own thing we don't want to make it up um, mm. we actually want to follow what you're doing and it's taken a while hasn't it mm. yeah it, it's been it's been like a really lovely process and a, and a journey like I've, I've got to say I've, I've just loved traveling this last you know seven seven months in in particular with these two guys because uh, there has just been this lovely opportunity for us to uh, spend time in prayer individually and uh, paying attention to what's going on in the in the church around the world and then coming together and mm. speaking and discerning and and arriving at at a place of shared conviction mm. and that's been a like quite a gentle easy but confronting process there's mm. been a stripping away of all of these things that you know you think that are important and turn out to be not so important there's a drawing back to the word and what is it that the bible's really saying about mm. about things so it's been it's been a lovely but a confronting process <laughs> yeah. It is. It's, it's deep, actually, and it is confronting and it's challenging, but it's also empowering. And I'm excited about who we are as a church. I mean, I'm excited for the church wide because I think God's doing something very significant. But we're, we're actually responsible for what God's, God's called us to do as, as, as in we are responsible. Um, and so we want to we take that seriously. We want to bring that direction from a deep place and trust God with what that looks like going forward. Um, in fact, you might have heard me say this, maybe you haven't, I'm not sure. I believe actually that God is actually birthing a new ministry model in the way that we are the church and what it looks like with what he's called us to do. And that is confronting, especially when we eyeball some things and go, well, maybe things do need to look different. 
compared to what we have been doing as far as a ministry model. I remember you sharing, Jeff, and it really made sense at some point in, in a couple of the meetings we've been where you use this analogy of a book of us kind of um, with chapters and where we're up to. Do you just want to share that, that context? I think that's helpful. Yeah, I think it, it was just recognising that we've really gone some distance over, over a number of months. And if we're not careful, the three of us will speak out of where, where we've got to, not recognising the fact that we've actually covered quite some distance. So it's, it's like we're co-authoring a book and I don't, so we're, we're kind of writing it, we're also kind of reading it. We're up to chapter six or seven and, and we're gonna be talking about chapter six and seven. And so at the moment we're speaking a lot about kids and youth and, and grappling with, with what that looks like going forward. But that's chapter six and that's off the back of you know, chapter five, four, three, two, one. And, and we need to be very careful if we're talking chapter six stuff, have we brought people along the journey with the content of those previous chapters? And, and also recognising that chapters seven, eight and nine are currently taking shape as well. And we don't really know what's in those chapters, but we've got something of a direction and, and a confidence that God has been faithfulness in, faithful in in revealing things to us along along the way. And so I think that's something of this series, isn't it? Like it's a little bit, well, okay, what was chapter one, two, three, four? It is like that. So we want to take him on the journey. And we want to do that from a conversational way with the three of us about some of these core convictions that will shape our future. Um, and it is come from a place of shared conviction. There's no one person driving this. It's us actually co-authoring with the Holy Spirit about what does this look like for us as Coast Community. One of the first convictions, or not one of the first, the first conviction that kind of was exposed or popped out that has become a core belief is this, it sounds easy to say, but I think it impacts absolutely everything we do, personally and as a church. And that was this conviction that this is core belief that we as a body of people are to be others focused, to prefer others, to really look out for others and to actually get to a point where we would get to say, actually, we as a church exist for the benefit of other people not ourselves. Now, like you're saying, that can be quite confronting and it can be easy to say, but really that comes down to this core belief that actually would say, well, it's not about me. And I think, if I'm really honest with myself and if we can be really honest, that is pretty confronting because within me is a selfish nature and I can see things from my point of view and what I think is good for me and good for my family and sometimes neglect what may be good for other people. For example, like right now in this COVID season, my goodness, I think there's people in our community that have displayed this beautifully, and that's all of our frontline workers. Now, some of you here today on site are frontline workers. There'd be plenty of people that engage that are. I mean, can I say thank you for understanding this core belief? That they've shown in very practical ways that they exist for the benefit of other people that they will put themselves in spaces that's not good for them, but it's actually much better for other people. So there's this understanding of a core belief, and it changes what I do. It changes my mission. It changes what things look like. And it just makes me wonder how that would change for us if we as a community of people actually had at a very deep place that, you know what, 
I am actually got this focus on other people, that we exist for other people, especially people that don't have a faith yet. How would that change for us? What goes on for you when you think about that? Well, that just ties into you know, a core belief again about what is the purpose of the church? Exactly. Why does the yep. church exist? Um, I just want to read a little passage out of Ephesians chapter 1. And in the message translation, listen to how Paul tells the church in Ephesus what they're about, what their business is. And it says, at the centre of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. Mm. And when you get that picture that, that Jesus has empowered the church to make him known in the world, mm. it just makes sense that we exist for the sake of others. Mm. Um, that, that those two are just in synergy with one another. So mm. this idea of um, churches becoming like a social group where it's all about us meeting and doing what, what we find comfortable... We've had to relook at that and go, no, that's, that's not why we exist as the church. Mm. So we need to lift our eyes. We need to look to the people around us who, who need to know the good news about Jesus and go, that's what we're about. Yeah. Yep. I, I like that you, that you called out the example of frontline workers because I think that's, that's potentially what this has revealed mm. is that we're all frontline yeah. workers. And... Uh, we, we probably were operating under the appearance or under, under the belief that the church, the church gathered was the front, was the front line. Mm. But what COVID exposed is that that's actually not, not the case. Mm. So the, 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 church, the church gathered in this way is actually in the background equipping the front line for the front line work that happens, you know, mon- Monday to Saturday. Yeah. And so I think that what COVID did was... It stripped it stripped away all of all of that sense of you know that this gathering is the main thing that this gathering is the main uh, is the front line um, that that this is where evangelism happens that this is where discipleship happens and and it exposed the fact that no that's actually that's actually each of us mm-hmm. and that when the Sunday gathering disappears that the importance of each of us being on the front line. <laughs> just rocketed to the forefront yeah both both were important so we we actually found that well i've got to lead myself and follow jesus personally how do i do that really well because i can't rely on a gathering and then how can i be missional and actually still share the good news without without a gathering it was it was pretty interesting i mean if we're honest in the church in australia um, there can be this thinking without us realising that there is this, this kind of consumer mindset where we want to be in a church that's good for me. We want to be in a church that's got this, 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 ticks all the boxes for everything that I would want to see in a church that's good for me and my family. And while I understand that, and that is still a real thing, but not to the neglect of where, where do I place myself and plant myself in gathering that actually equips me, empowers me to go and be missional in the way that I just do life every day. And not only that, but to understand the the role of being in the gathering. Yeah. And so I, I had a conversation with someone in our church a number of years ago now, and he said to me, he said, you know, what? when I when I get up on Sunday morning, I pray and I, I just ask God, can you show me 
what you want me to do this morning when I when I attend the gathering. Yeah. Who who do I need to pay attention to? Who do I need to be present for? Now he wasn't getting up and doing anything in the service that anyone would have seen, mm. but his mindset in turning up was how can I contribute yeah. by being present? Uh, without this idea of I'm, I'm coming to consume or get get what I think I need to be getting. Yep. He went with the mindset of how can I contribute? And, and he said every single week there would be a, a key conversation or a prayer opportunity or something that was really significant because he was open to God using him mm. in the gathering. And I thought, what, what a great culture to start to develop mm. and grow um, amongst ourselves. Mm. Yep. That's good. Now, just before, if you're watching online, that you actually check out and turn this off, or maybe you, um, this, can, but this can actually cause some emotional reaction engaging with some kind. We, we would hope that we could ask those questions of ourselves in deep ways and actually allow God to shape that within us. Because here in Philippians 2, we can see this. Um, Noah, do you want to throw that up for me, mate? In Philippians 2, it says this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look... Out for, um, only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now here's a core belief. It says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the human, the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Like that's, that's a big call. Like for us to sit in that and go, how can we have the same attitude of Jesus who had a servant mindset? He had, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to, oh, it's within my power to do something and I'm going to do it. So if we were to really embrace that core belief that, that actually I, I, want, I choose to be other people focused and that has impact on everything. It has impact on me personally, on our gatherings and on our missional expression – what could that actually do for us personally? How would that, if it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who actually let go of all his privileges and preferred to actually serve people, how does that actually make a difference in our personal lives? Well, it's not a Sunday morning attitude, is it? It's no. a moment-by-moment, moment, day day-by-day attitude. Um, you know, kids, you know, if you're at home... And you've just had dinner, the idea of starting to clean up without being asked, that's an attitude where you're preferring others. Um, sure is. Teenagers. I wasn't saying that to my kids specifically, um, but that would be good. Um, and, but they do that anyway, so I'll get in trouble when I get home. You will. Um, that's pretty you know, normal on a Sunday, though. this idea, because I remember being a teenager, you become pretty self-centred um, just occasionally to think of someone else in the house. Um, mm prefer a friend at school you know don't worry about what I'm doing at lunchtime today but I've noticed there's someone who's always on their own how can I do something where mm. I'm preferring somebody else to my own wants and desires um, th there can be some really just practical things mm. we can do that become habits and become practices in our life so our default position can become we're looking for towards mm. the need of others instead of our own needs mm. not easy to do but we can start to do some things that lead us that way. That's why I think that's important to think through what, what could be. If, if that is true, if that is a conviction that we've had and we want to bring direction and leadership into our church, that we want to be a place that's other people's focus, what are some simple practices that we can do that actually nail that in us 
and d- develops that in us and allow Jesus to actually form us so we naturally do that because it isn't a natural thing. And I think there are, I mean, simple practices. I mean, you think about when you're driving and you just let somebody in. I mean, that's a practice you can do very simply um, and to do it in a way where you actually it's a joy to actually do that even if they don't say thank you for letting them in. Yeah, they don't give you the wave. No, you know? that yeah. annoys me. I've got to work on that one. It's like, man, come on, buddy, at least you can give me a wave. I'll let you in. Or, we, you know, if we're, if we're in the shopping and we let someone go first, even if we're pushed for time and it's so inconvenient. I remember as kids, I mean, my kids still do this. Like if, if you've got people over and you're pouring drinks, kids, have you, do you remember this when you pour drinks for your friends and you're actually pouring it and it's got to be exactly even? Do you remember that? Like exactly, and you actually get down really low on the bench just to check. What's the go with that? It's like, you're really saying, I don't want you to have more than me. Like imagine we just pour the drinks and you actually give the biggest one to your mate. Like that's, there could be some small, simple practices where we just let other people go first that remind us. I mean, I want to show you a clip here. There's this little clip. It's from another country. You don't need to understand the, the text. But it's this beautiful story about kids in a classroom that notice something about one of their mates and they do something about it because they're not thinking of themselves. Can we check that clip out? Thanks, Noah. at the end. I'm just hoping it's something wholesome. <laughs> uh, I'd love to find out what it is, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear it in a live chat somewhere. Um, that captures something for me. Because we're a community of people. And there's people in us that have needs. And it just takes us to stop and pay attention and to be active in in doing what we can that is within our power because we have an other people's focused core belief. There's people in your world all around you that actually there may be something you could do there if you had a focus on other people. There's absolutely people all around us in our community and all around, around you in your world who don't have a faith or a hope in Jesus. And that's a life-changing thing, not only now but for eternity. And we have the answer to that. But if we are consumed in our own thoughts from a selfish nature, which I believe is a default position, it is for my life, I've got to actually change that. But if we had a core belief to be others focused and we lived and for the benefit of other people, it changes absolutely everything from what we do individually, what we do as a gathering and what we're called to do. Jeff, what have you seen in regards of practices that can actually shape those kind of core beliefs, just little habits, 
How have you seen that work? Um, so I've, I've, I've got one that, that I found helpful for me. Like, Shell will tell you really quick that I can, uh, I can get pretty self-absorbed. And so it's all about what's on my calendar and what I've got to get done and, and, and my list of things. I've, I've found that I've got to set myself up right from the get-go at the start of, of the day to be others-focused. And, and the way that I've found most helpful is just pray for other people. Mm. Um, so if I know that as part of my morning, morning practice, as part of, of how I would pray each day, that I know that there, are, that there are people on that list that I'm going to be praying for people, mm. then it will orient my heart right from the start of the day to pay attention to other, other people. Mm. Um, to the point where if I don't do that, if I don't, if I don't do that intentionally and be praying for other people, um, I am less likely to be mindful of that through, throughout the day. Mm. The, the other thing that, I, that I've recognised is that... Um, if I pay attention to how I'm just how I'm going, if I'm if I'm in a pattern of of stress and in a pattern of feeling anxious, um, one of the little questions I ask myself is, am I featuring too highly in my own thinking? Mm-hmm. And there is a direct link between how much I think about myself and how anxious I am. And if I wow. direct that to be thinking about other people, um, mm. which helps when I'm praying for them, then I, it, it will actually, it, it will lower my anxiety if I'm thinking about others. Great yep. practices, great examples. In fact, you made me think of a book I read years ago. It was called Skill with People, and it was just this really tiny book. That's why I read it. It was really skinny. Um, they're the books I like to read. And it, there was just some research on, on, on a stat on how many thoughts we have about ourselves to how many thoughts we have about other people. Because we, we think people are thinking about us all the time. Well, I hate to break it to you. That's not true. You're thinking about yourself most of the time. In fact, according to his research, the stat was 10,000 thoughts to one that we think about ourselves. Huge. So how do we change that so that we're thinking about other people? Because that's the default position. And I think it's a big challenge. In fact, I think it's our biggest challenge. In fact, I think it's probably one of the biggest convictions that shapes everything we do if we journey together with that and personalise it and go, if I have a core belief to be others-focused, how does that make a difference? Because all of a sudden it's not about me. Here's this in in Matthew 28. Noah, if you can throw this verse up for me. Um, Check this out because it talks about Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now Jesus has given his life as a ransom. He's paid the price so that we can be in the family of God. But then he calls you and I to have the same attitude as that in the way that we live that's confronting. And that's the beauty of doing it in community because when, yes. when others are preferring you and you um, benefit from that, you're blessed by that, it's easier, I think, to do likewise. Mm. When you're seeing it modelled, when you're on the receiving end, uh, I think it helps shape us to become the type of people who, who also want to be like that. Yeah. But trying to do this in isolation... Um, out of, outside of church community, I think it would be really, really difficult. Yeah. 
we chatted a bit about what that could look like maybe personally, and I'd encourage you in some practices that can just remind you to be others-focused. Again, your choice, you can do whatever you like. But I believe that this is something that God wants to work on us, us in. So let's have some practices that do that or some habits. And it does impact even the way what happens when we gather. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed, we, and we'll talk about this later in a few weeks, but we're not even calling Sundays a church service because it's not that. It's the church gathered. And that's different if we're actually kind of gathering to be, to be fed and filled up. So, like, let, let's fill up first and come together. In fact, when we started back those initial first Sundays of gathering, not as a public gathering, but we need to make something happen. And it was interesting because we had people turning up, not because they're on a roster, just because they wanted to turn up to help. And it's interesting. Imagine if we had a whole bunch of people every Sunday just turning up, go, here I am, what do you want me to do? And it could be helping someone with some, some kids. Um, it could be anything. It could be encouraging someone, like you said. It could be just, I'm here, is there anything you want me to do? Like that's an attitude that many of us have, absolutely. But imagine if that could be contagious in the way that we continued to meet together. It would change things. What does it mean for our mission? What does it mean for us to go? What, how does it change what we're empowered to? Because we'd hope that when we gather as a church, we are empowered according to the giftings we have and we're equipped and we're encouraged in what God's asked us to do. Jeff, you were sharing with me a little while ago just the stats in Australia for how many youth or young adults actually walk away from faith. Can you remind me what that is? Yeah, there was a, there was a stat from 2015 that was saying upwards of a 1,000 young adults every single week in Australia uh, are walking away from the faith. And so it's, some, it's somewhere between 50 and 80%, and I've, I've read some stats that say it's around about 70% of our, of our young adults that would profess a faith during school no longer do so by the time they enter the workforce. That is full on yeah. and not okay. It's not okay. It should really cheese us off. Hmm. Was that cheeses or? Okay, yeah, just checking. Um, it ticks Jesus off too. It ticks Jesus off. Can you just what's what's that again? Somewhere to about seventy percent. Yeah. Of kids that have grown up who have professed a faith through school, yep. young adults, and at some point there into adulthood. By the time they enter the workforce, yeah, they would say that they're not a Christ follower anymore. Yeah, yeah. and u- university is particularly that that time where, where where a young Christian would have their faith challenged. Yeah, um, and they've not been sufficiently equipped to be able to defend their mm. faith. Roots haven't gone down deep enough. Mm. It's a discipleship issue. It's a discipleship issue. Yeah. So there's something about that that's not okay. And if we are a community of people that are others-focused and know that that's a real dynamic that's happening in Australia, it's, it's happening in our community, it's happening in our church. What are, what are we going to do about that? Um, I love this verse, thanks, Noah, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul's kind of declaring this. He says, this is, I just don't do what is best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. What would it look like if that core belief in us went so deep that we were others-focused 
and that we were very intentional with what God's asked us to do because we really cared for other people, which we do. But there's something in this season where it's really important that we ask these questions and we go, well, what are we as the church going to do about that? Because the business as usual maybe thing is not working. Maybe there is a ministry model that needs to look different to see those stats turn around. Imagine if that stat was the opposite in Australia, that we were seeing 70 to 80% of young adults and actually come to faith. That'd change a nation, change a world. What do we do about that? I want to ask you a question. What is the best that you can do based on that verse that is best for others so that many can be saved? How does that impact you in your deep core? How does that actually change the way that you think? How does that bring a transformation in your life where there's something unsettling in you, not from a pressure point of view, but from a conviction point of view from the Spirit of God that says, man, what's my part in that? How do I contribute to that? How do I make a difference in that? How do I use what God, whatever you've given me for the benefit of other people? How can we do that more and more and more? And sure, there's plenty of that happening, but how do we grow in that? I mean, our discipleship strategy would say evidence of deep roots, you mentioned that, is actually an increased love for God and others. There's an increased love there because we love God and we've got an others-focused attitude. Would there be anything you guys want to say to kind of wrap up? I'd love to wrap up with just a Bible verse. No, wrap up, Kev. Has anyone seen Andrew speechless before? It's pretty rare. I'd, t- I'd just say two things, and you just mentioned it then, that, that this, this others-focused love um, is, is a product of, of a life that is participating in the life of God. So yeah. it is the Holy Spirit within us that equips us for genuine others-focused love. It's not something that we would conjure up out of some you know, self-effort to be good mm. or to win points or so that God would be happy with us. It is evidence of the spirit within us, the source of love, yeah. the love that he first had had for us. Um, and, and similarly, you know, this, this is how we image Jesus. Yeah. And that, that's our desire, that the spirit working within us would conform us to the image of, of Christ, that others-focused life. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. It's been so good to journey together with you in that. Can I encourage you in a couple of things? One... Somehow to write that down in whatever way, whether it's in your phone, whether it's old school on a bit of paper, whether it's on your fridge, on somewhere, others focused. How can we bring that to the surface so that God shapes us internally where that does become a deep conviction in all of us, many of us? The last thing I want to finish with is the Philippians 2 passage again because as I read that, it shows me that Jesus preferred you. He did. He is quite okay. Father, Son, Spirit, all eternity. Yet he preferred you. He preferred you. As I get the band to come up as we close, I just want to read this passage and finish with this. Because if we had an understanding that, that God himself, Almighty God, that Jesus chose to let go of what he had, because he preferred you. Now, God exalted that at the end, this passage says, but he, ch- he preferred you. 
It says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Continues, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name that's above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus preferred you. I encourage you to let that sink deep. And even this week, whether it's personally or in your home group or in your family at home, could I encourage you to take that passage and maybe read it, have communion together, and remember the significance that Jesus preferred you and he's calling you and I to have that same attitude for others and be others-focused. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much that your love for us is way greater than we'd ever know. And Jesus, I thank you that you preferred us. You chose us. You were focused on us as the object of your love. And you did something about it. And you were born into this world. And you lived a life so that you could give it. And you gave it. So that we could be completely forgiven and invited into your family. And I pray for anyone today, God. For anyone that needs to hear and understand that Jesus preferred me. I pray that this will be the day that we choose to follow you. But God, for those of us who do have a faith in you already, I pray, God, you'd take us deeper in understanding that, Jesus, you preferred us. And I pray, God, help us to say yes, that we want to have the same attitude as you. Help us to live very genuinely with an others-focused mindset. Help us to push past our selfish nature and to think of other people, to see other people, to love other people, to share the good news of you, Jesus, with other people in words, in action, but from a belief of preferring other people. God, I pray that your spirit would transform us internally so that's how we live. Transform us, God, I pray. Lord, I pray that we can be a community of people at Coast Community that genuinely lives for other people. Lord, that we see needs in our brothers and sisters and if we've got the ability that we would do something about it. That God, we would actually bring the good news to our community for all of those people that are around us in our world already relationally and people that we don't even know yet. Lord, I pray that this time that this season, that you would birth something new in us, Jesus, all for your glory. I pray that we'd see the stats in Australia turn around. We see kids and young adults cling to faith and actually be making disciples because of their faith. So God, we want to commit this core belief to you today. And I pray, God, you'd take it deep. And I pray, God, that it would shape our future. And I praise you for that, God.
I pray that we'd see people coming to faith and people being baptised and living deeply in you, making disciples. God, we commit this core belief to you today within us and we pray that you would fan it into flame. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Can I hear any amens this morning? Serious? Serious? Amen.